What's up, weebs, and welcome back to Anime Lane, the podcast where we take you down the yellow brick road of anime and have a look at everything it has to offer. As always, I'm your host, Rebel Notorious, and today I'm going to be doing something a little bit different. On the show so far, we've always covered anime, but the world of anime is actually bigger than just that on its own. You, I mean, it's come up in episodes before, you know, stuff's based on manga. We, I talked heavily about the manga in the Akira episode, which... I don't actually know if it's out by the time this is coming out. I think that's still... I think this is coming out. I think Acura's coming out after this. I also brought it up with uh, Galaxy Express when I was talking about Luigi Matsumoto. Um, So yeah, the the world of anime also consists of manga, light novels, visual novels, GRPGs. Because anime tends to be based on a lot of this stuff. I mean, a lot of anime has also original content. That's, you know stuff like Cycle Pass and uh, Pat Labor, Spirited Away, most, well, yeah, no, I think Spirited Away is, uh, Spirited Away is original. I was going to say most Ghibli stuff's original, but then I remember a lot of stuff by Miyazaki is actually based on, on uh, books, not typically Japanese books, like light novels and stuff, um, actual book, uh, Howl's Moving Castle is based on a book by an English author, I think, is it English or Welsh? Something like that. Um, I own the book and I haven't read it yet. Uh, I know it's like vastly different because, yeah. Anyway, I'm getting sidetracked. So today I'm going to talk about a couple of light novels. Um, I've toyed with this idea before and I have mentioned it previously, uh, mainly in reference to the series 86 because I really want to talk about that series. Um, it's, it's one of my favourite novels. Um, but I'd, I think if I'm going to cover that, since where it currently stands, it looks like we're heading towards the end, and while that may take another maybe two, two or three years, um, I think I'll cover it more in a sort of when I reread it when it finishes, um, because I I caught up and then started can you know, reading them as they've come out, and I think there's one out this month actually. I think it's soon. Is it the end of this month? Something like that. There's a new one soon. Um, and we're, we're kind of heading towards the end goal. So I think I'll, I'll talk about that more later. Um, I don't want to do a big episode where I talk about every volume that's out. And then another episode where I talk about the new volumes. I want to do it in a bit more of a cleaner sense. Maybe just a full episode dedicated to it. Or something like that. But anyway, yes. Um, today I'm going to be talking about the books. The, the light novels. Your Forma by Mahiro Kikushi. Uh, Kiku Ishii. Um, I hope I'm pronouncing that right, uh, illustrated by Subata Nozaki and translated by Roman Limper, uh, and Berserk of Gluttony, uh, written by Ishiki Ichika, uh, illustrated by Fame and translated by Heng T. Lim. Um, so when I cover light novels, I will mention the translator, because this is a big thing within light novels, is uh, the translators only ever really mention most of the time in the sort of beginning pages of the book. Apple on their iBooks platform, which is where I read a lot of my stuff, is starting to list um, the translators alongside the authors and illustrators on their author byline parts, um, which is really good, um, giving credit to, you know, the the people that brought us to this in English, because it's a weird thing where, yeah, it's originally written by, you know, Mariho Kikuishi and Ishika Ichika for these books, but we're kind of reading... The work of Roman Limper and Heng T. Lim here, where you know they've they've brought it and made it fluid and, and under, understandable and engaging in the English language. Um, so you know, it's it's a credit to both of these people, and of course, you know, Subata Nozaki and, and Fame. You know, they they did wonderful illustrations for these books. You know, cover art and then insert pages and, and, and certain chapters and stuff like that. Um, so I don't think this is going to be like a long episode. I think this is going to be much shorter than most because I don't really want to spoil these books. Um, I want to kind of cover these in a way that I, I hope that you'll maybe be interested in reading these um, to the point that I don't know if in the future these will get like a, a specific episode covering the new volumes. Um, when it comes to your form, I should clarify, I'm, I'm, I'm only covering volume one and two because that's all that's out in English. Volume three is up for pre-order and comes out um, in January. 
uh, and for Berserk of Gluttony, I'm only covering the first volume, even though I think eight are out. Yeah, uh, no, seven, sorry. Uh, there's seven volumes out. Um, but I have, I've only read the first one. Um, so I think I'll start with your format. This is very much the one that's up my alley to the point that um, I saw, I believe it was Roman Lampere talking about it on Twitter because I, I follow him. Um, and I think he was tweeting about it around, I guess at the time he was translating it. Um, but it was before it was like announced for an English, English release. Um, and, and they said, you know, it was very good, and I, I looked it up a little bit, and I, I found the, the concept very interesting, because um, it kind of hits the things I like in sci-fi. Um, so I'll read the, um, the synopsis for the first volume here to give you an idea of what it is. Uh, so this is from, this is the Yen Press synopsis. In an alternate Oh, fuck it. I'll do that again. Sorry. I stumbled over the first sentence. I still need to get used to doing this stuff. In an alternate 2023, the Your Forma, a miraculous smart thread... To, oh, fuck. <laughs> I'll try that one more time. Uh, I thought there was a punctuation there when there wasn't. In an alternate 2023, the Your Forma, a miraculous smart thread technology initially developed to treat a massive outbreak of viral encephalitis has become an integral part of daily life. But these convenient devices come with an invasive drawback. They record, they record every sight, sound, and even emotion their users experience. For electronic investigator Echka Hida, diving into people's memories via the Your Forma and hunting for evidence to solve the toughest crimes is all part of the day's work. The problem is, she's so good at what she does that her assistants literally fry their brains trying to keep up with her. After putting one too many aids in the hospital, the top brass finally furnish Echka with a partner on her level, a brilliant yet cheeky android named Harold LeCraft. LeCraft? I'm actually not sure how to pronounce Harold's last name. Uh, does this unlikely duo have what it takes to resolve their mutual suspicions and avert a deadly technology infection from sweeping across the globe before it's too late? That probably makes it seem like my reading comprehension is very bad. Um, I maybe should have read it a couple of times before recording. Um, to, to get, you know, good at reading it out loud. Um, so yeah, that's, you know, the base concept of your format is it's set actually just not very far ahead of where we are right now. Um, it's barely futuristic. But in the 90s, um, so to cover the, the description a little more in depth and the, the whole viral encephalitis thing, which is interesting because I'm not sure when the series originally started i know that the first book came out i think last year in english no this year even june damn um i actually read it when it came out so it started in 2021 so i guess it is drawing off of um the whole pandemic thing which is actually because you start reading it and there is a little sort of I don't know how to put it. It's it's there's a certain certain un there's something unnerving, maybe unsettling reading it for the first time where you're being introduced to, you know, in the nineties there was this pandemic that, that led to the development of your your forma that basically saved, you know, everyone's life but also changed the trajectory of, you know, human and humanity's technolo technological development and all that sort of stuff. It it feels very, you know, real because of that um because we were you know just i mean when i read this back in june we were sort of just coming out of the sort of late stages of the pandemic and it, it's not over now as i'm recording this in november um you know we're still very much dealing with it um so it made that aspect of it very uh almost unnerving and it added a lot of weight to the world of the book because you can sort of relate to the history of that world you know um and while it is as you know very different because this is taking place like 30 30 years after it all happened all that happened and it's you know people have adjusted to living with this um the very base of the book it, because of the pandemic thing it's it's lent 
a nice amount of weight um, because of that. I, I had a few things reading it that I had concerns about, though. In the first book, you know, we're introduced to, to everything. Um, and one of the one of the kind of core concepts is that um, when there's there's certain areas in the world that you know for one reason or another, usually cultural reasons, um, they don't assimilate the the your form of technology, or in fact, they are total like technological dead zones. Um, and at first, I. I was a little concerned about how this was going to be handled in the book because in the first volume, I th- I think it's it's a Native American related, um, and the reason I was concerned about it is because they refer to these kind of to the people who live in these these zones and, and don't assimilate with the technology and, and reject sort of the Euphorma and everything like that. Um, they refer to them as Luddites, and my concern with that was that uh it would only refer to you know people like uh sorry i'm gonna try to talk while i look up the mention of the word luddites and and the book so i can get an example here um oh here it is actually there's a very good um one right off the bat here uh mentioned the first chapter of the first first volume here um, I, I'm actually not sure who's speaking at this point. Um, I genuinely have no idea who's, who's, who's saying this line, but it is, like, a, a, a sentence being said to, I assume, Echka. Um, that area is a technologically resi- restricted zone populated by Luddites who object to the use of machinery. And then it specifically refers in the next sentence, and the Sami also make a living off of reindeer husbandry, but some of them work as back alley doctors behind the scene. So it's sort of, so it's, uh, I, yeah, I believe it's Native American, or it mentions Sami here. So I, I can't, I'm sort of working off of a little bit of memory recall here from when I first read the first volume. Um, interestingly, there's not, unless it's it's because I've put it in in case, like with an, an uppercase L. There's only three mentions of the word in the first book. Which is interesting. I feel like it came up a lot more than that. Um, yeah, that's... Yeah, sorry, I'm, I'm going silent here because I'm kind of trying to skim... Oh, yeah. There's a part where, where Harold uh, kind of feigns like being a human instead of an amicus which is a, a sort of a robot android cyborg android cyborgs are uh, people who've who've had uh, mechanical upgrades amicus are androids and they they sort of uh work alongside humans in various capacities some places have sort of like fully accepted them like uh, they were created in England in in the lore of the books and this is sort of dealt with in the second book where their their human rights have already been ratified within like English law uh whereas most of the world it's kind of they don't have many rights if I remember correctly Interestingly, there's a slight hypocrisy there in the second book where they say they have human rights, but they're constantly talking about shutting down Harold um, because they think he committed a crime. That's just the kind of general premise of the first, the, the second book, by the way. I, I mentioned I don't want to spoil anything, and I'm uh, so I won't go any further than that. But it, it's, it's very interesting, you know, learning about the world within the book and, and being introduced to these concepts. And I think it does, like, a fairly interesting job of telling a sci-fi... A, 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 a very kind of crime... Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Not procedural drama. It's not, like, you know, Law and Order or something, but very much like a detective story with a, a heavy sci-fi um, backdrop. Uh, and, and, you know, Echka in the first book doesn't really like 
Amicus. Um, Amakai? What's the plural of Amicus? I don't remember it coming up in the book. Um, and she, you know, she doesn't like them until when she's paired up with Harold. She's kind of against it. And that's sort of like the, a very, the, the, kind of one of the most interesting parts of the first book is, is and, and even the second one actually, is sort of their relationship and how they have to get along and, and how their relationship develops then in the second book when when the first book sort of resolves some issues um, for Edgeka. Um, but yeah, it's, it's an interesting, an interesting sci-fi crime detective Sorry, I'm failing at describing this book. It's an interesting detective uh, story set in a sci-fi world. Um, it has some very interesting sort of, you know, philosophical uh, implications that it kind of touches on. I'll be interesting to it'll be interesting to see if those kind of get dealt with a little deeper in future books. But it's one that I kind of you know, don't want running into the standard light novel problem, which is sort of like Sword Art Online, uh, sort of like that time I got reincarnated as a slime, a bunch of other light novels that I can't think of off the top of my head, run for just so many volumes. I think at the moment there's four out in Japan, or five. I think one's due out soon in Japan. Um, so I think it's on, it's on, it's either fourth or the fifth one's just dropped. Um, and it's, I don't want it to overstay its welcome. I think this could be a very good, like, short, concise series. I don't think it needs to be like Vampire Hunter D, which has almost like 30 books out in English. Um, it's a little different in Japan. I think there's there's like some in an English release that have been like condensed into one book or split into two. Um, so it could be longer, it could be shorter in Japanese. I'm actually I, I'm not hundred percent sure. Um, I yeah, I think maybe at most seven eight volumes. I could see maybe just it for it hitting double digits. You know ten. But I think if it goes much further ahead than that, it would be too much. Um, I I'm not sure, you know, exactly where it would go and how it would end. That's that's the big thing I see right now. It sort of is set up with uh an endless loop, um clause, I guess you could call it, where as long as as uh, Etchka and Harold are partners, they kind of can solve as many crimes as they want. They do sort of have an end goal, um, at least for Harold, uh, because Etchka's end goal is sort of dealt with by the end of the first book. But I hope they deal with Harold's goal sooner rather than later. Like, I, within a couple of books at least, I don't know sort of where it's going uh, from there. I, I do think the third book will be interesting, but I, I could see it very easily sort of losing steam or becoming un, uninteresting. If it doesn't, you know, deal with certain things properly or and if it tries to, you know, they try to, you know, obviously people want to make money off of these things if, if publishers want you know, more content out of it and, and kind of that sort of thing. It is very interesting. It's got interesting and engaging characters. Um... I think structurally I do have issues with it, um, mainly in that it falls just from the first book straight into uh, light novelitis, I, I'm going to start calling it, where it just has unwieldily massive chapters. Um, because for some reason, this is a very common thing in light novels, um, interestingly Berserk of Gluttony doesn't actually do this, but... 86 and and uh, I at points Sword Art Online did it, but at least a lot of the light novels I've read have strayed into the territory of having like four or five chapters that are just massive, and your format does sort of try and combat it by having the chapter then subdivided, but to me 
if you're doing something like that, just divide it into those chapters and have more chapters. And I think it's it would make the use of illustrations much better as well. Because as it stands, there's not a lot of illustrations in your format. And there's not a lot of illustrations in a lot of light novels. Um, certainly Berserk of Gluttony didn't have too many of them. But I think the I feel a little underwhelmed by the use of uh, illustrations in your format. There's some really nice ones. There's some really great use of them in the first book. Um, but a lot of the time it's relegated to chapter covers, uh, because the chapters are so large, they put illustrations as the covers for those chapters, and then we get into, you know, the subdivision of the chapters, and it would be nicer to see those, you know, four or five illustrations not being used for covers, but, but just being used at different points within the store, not necessarily those illustrations, but, you know, the time that the artist spent to create those, being spent to create illustrations that go with somewhere within the story to emphasise something. Um, if we had more chapters and then, you know, maybe a few more illustrations interspersed rather than having chapter cover illustrations. I hope I'm getting that point across. I, I feel like I'm not conveying what I'm sort of uh, trying to get at with that. Um, so yeah, that's your format. I, I, it's an, it's a hard one to talk about without spoiling it. Um, because I can't say too much about Etchka's dislike for Amicus and how all, because that's not her only issue within the first book. You know, she's a very distant person. She doesn't really like to get along. She doesn't like people very much. Um, and she's very much built up a wall around herself. And while that's sort of, you know, that's still being dealt with in the second book, uh, a lot of problems for Etchka are resolved at the end of the first book. So it's very hard to talk about the first or second book in any sort of detail without instantly spoiling something, especially the second book, because it does really deal with all the ramifications of what happens throughout the first book um, and its story. Um, like I said, Harold is, Harold is accused for murder and it's sort of, you know, the, the whole impetus and thrust of that part of the story is, is very much driven by what happens at the end of uh, the first volume. So I can't really talk about it in detail without spoiling it because I don't want to spoil it because I really, I really want to encourage you to read it. I really like this this series. I think it has a lot of potential. I just hope it doesn't overstay its welcome. I think it's really well and written and it's very engaging. The characters are interesting to read. Um, uh, within the first and second book, you know, the first there's the first book has its own cast of characters, and then the second book really just follows Edgecon and Harold, and it's it's uh it's there's a lot of new characters. Uh, throughout the the second book that are all equally as interesting i'd be i'd be interested to see if uh the professor that created the line of amicus that harold is from uh professor she's got like three names like a three kind of like she's got a first middle last name professor lexi i believe professor carter is also something i think she's referred to as um It'd be interesting to see if she comes back up again and if, if there's an interesting... Because there's an interesting way they could take that story, but at the same time, she sort of fulfilled her purpose to the story, which I think is a little sad to see. Because I think there's a, there's a slight mystery that's revealed at the end of the second book that I think could have been left for a little while longer if they're gonna keep going you know like i said there's there's another three books out in japan um at this point in time and we're just waiting on the the third book coming out over here i i think they could have strung that mystery along a little more but it seems to be shifting that mystery since it's sort of revealed as like a sort of uh they are doing something with it that could be equally as interesting but i also I don't know how that part will go because uh, something that I'm I'm going to touch upon with Ber Berserk of Gluttony is a uh, is sort of stringing out character secrets too long. 
because now after a certain mystery revealed like both characters are kind of both Echka and Harold are keeping a secret from each other it's sort of a shared secret uh in a sense of like one th yeah it's hard to explain without without spoiling it i'm afraid but both of them have a secret that they're kind of holding and i hope that that is not strung out too long because i'm not a big fan of that sort of thing usually when that's like a a big focus of something or it's a big kind of character like a relationship uh like plot thread i usually find myself like internally screaming at both characters or one character to just you know deal with the problem because usually that's what a secret is is it's like it's a, it's a character avoiding a problem which you know it does you know it provides tension it provides conflict it, it provides all these interesting narrative um points that that series can cover but at the same time it can just be a little drawn out when they do this sort of thing so you know hopefully uh going by the description of volume three i hope it deals with it there and then um and we have something else going into the the books going into the future uh but we'll see we'll see i highly recommend your forma um like i said there's only two books out right now so it's not like a big time sink uh so yeah i highly recommend you if you've if you find yourself intrigued by this absolute train wreck of a discussion I've had with myself about this, uh, yeah, I highly recommend going to read it. It's available through Yen Press. Uh, on you know, if you want to read it digitally, it's it's available on Apple Apple's bookstore, uh, Bookwalker, I assume, uh, probably Google's book service that I think they still have, or did they shoot shut down Google Play Books? I don't know kindle all those good places for digital and of course if you're wanting to buy it physically um i'm sure all good uh book retailers will have it like amazon and, and waterstons if you're in the uk and stuff like that if you're in the us i'm sorry i don't really know barnes and noble target i don't know um though i i hope currently it's not and the issue that yen press runs into sometimes where the first sort of few volumes of some of their series can go out of print for a long time um but yeah i highly recommend it um so i think with that i'll close the discussion on your forma and i'll start talking about berserk of gluttony so yeah this is a fantasy series which uh i like fantasy for the most part i think it can be interesting i think it can have i think it's but I think uh, my concern is always if it lands in doing too much. I think that it can. I think a lot of fantasy stuff can get bogged down in world building, or being overly concerned with with certain aspects of what a fantasy story is. That everything else gets lost, um, which is certainly the issue I have with the Lord of the Rings. Every time I've tried to read the books. I think the movies are great. Obviously, they're they're maybe a little long because I find it hard to go back and rewatch them because they're so fucking long. Um, but with the books, I've certainly been overwhelmed with the amount of sort of world building and also scenery description. Which, sure, for a fantasy book, there there is a sort of extra level of of scenery uh, description you need to go into. But there's there's overdoing it. Uh, which I think uh, Lord of the Rings certainly did for me, at least. Uh, but f jumping over back, jumping over to Berserk of Gluttony, I actually was impressed uh, to a certain degree by this book. Not, um, not overly so. I think overall it's very average. Um, will I keep reading it? I think so. I, th I think since there's only like another seven books and it's not a heavy read, I think I will just keep going, uh, at least for the time being. I could get through the second or third book and, and decide to give up with it, but as it stands, I'm I'm interested enough to read more. Um, I'm not overly satisfied with how the first book ends. 
but anyway, yeah, before I get too into my discussion of the book, um, I'll read the description again uh, from the bookstore here. Because uh, interestingly, I, I've owned the first volume of this since it came out in English, which was in 2020, which is two years ago. And I'm only just getting around to reading it this in the last week or so. Um, and I, I'm like looking at it and I start reading it. And I'm not sure what kind of tipped me towards buying it. At the time. I, like not just buying it, I pre-ordered the first one. Um, I'm not sure what pushed me to grab this. Uh, you know, reading the first couple of chapters, I was like, wait, I actually don't know anything about this. Um, and I was like looking at the cover, and the cover's the only familiar thing really about it. And then I read the description on the bookstore, and I'm really not sure what pushed me to pre-order this. Because I'll, I'll, I'll read it here. Fate Graphite is one of the Forsaken, cursed with the scale gluttony, he is ever starving, never sated, until the day he kills a dying thief and devours the man's strength and his soul. The true hunger of fate's gluttony has awakened, and if he can learn to control his power, he will at last be the master of his own destiny. Which is just so... One. So, this... I'll tell, I'll tell you what pushed me to check why the fuck I bought this in the first place. It is the third chapter of the book before you learn the main character's name if you haven't read the synopsis. It's all, to it's all told from first person's pr perspective. So the first two chapters, no one refers to fate by his name. This includes Roxy, uh, Lady Roxy, who is like the love interest. Uh, and she we're introduced to her like right away uh, after some... some inciting scenes i guess you could call them for for like fate's character introduction but it's the third chapter before fate's name is dropped and i'm pretty sure it's in reference to himself um because fate spends a lot of his time on his own at the beginning of the book so the third yeah the third <laughs> We learn in the third chapter his name because he looks at his stats. Because this is a thing in this series. The, the So the basic premise is that you have levels and you have stats. And you have abilities. All very fantasy-esque tropes if you're playing a fucking video game. Like Elder Scrolls, which I'm only bringing up because I'm currently looking at my Discord. And Sean is playing Oblivion. <laughs> Um, so, you know, that makes sense in an Asekai, but this is not an Asekai, this is just a plain, straight fantasy. Fate is not from another world, fate did not die and get reincarnated here, fate didn't get teleported here, like Escafloni, he's just another person from this world. And his, the skill he was born with was gluttony, which was seen to be useless until he was like, I don't know, 18, 20? I don't know how old he is. Uh, he's never, it's never actually mentioned. And he, he like kills a bandit. Weirdly, the uh, synopsis refers to, uh, refers to the bandit as a thief. But all we know is that these people are trying to break into the castle. And they refer to them constantly as bandits in the, you know, text of the book. Um, but yeah, so he kills the bandit and he hears a voice that mentions uh, that he has, like, taken the stats and skills from this guy. One of the skills he gets is called Identify, which we're then given uh, a fantastic rundown of how rare a skill that is. But apparently, this bandit just has it. Like, it, to the it's, it's mentioned as being rare to the point that the people who have this skill can make a lot of money by being the person who reads your stats, lets you know what your skill is, and kind of decides the potential you have 
for your life. Um, so, I I don't know why just a random bandit has this skill. It can't be that rare. But the skill is used so much. It is like a foundation of this book. Um, yeah, it's so bizarre. I'm currently trying to find the passage where it like goes over. Um, identify and how rare it is. There it is. Here it is. Okay. Um, if I had, I, so this is from Fate's perspective. This is from the third chapter of the book called Skill Study, where he's kind of going over his own skills and, and his stats and, and kind of coming to terms with this change in his life because all his skills were originally one. And that was their point value. And in the course of the book, they get ridiculously high value. Um, and there's like, at, at the beginning, I was a little bit frustrated by the lack of context for the skills, mainly... Um, it took a while to give any sort of comparison of fate skills to, like, literally anybody else's or any other, you know, like a, like a, a monster skill or whatever, uh, stats, points and stuff like that. Uh, so, cause, you know, it says he had all ones and when he killed the bandit, he went up to, like, 121 vitality, 151 strength, 100 magic, 100 spirit, 131 agility, which means nothing because that can in some games be really high or in others it can be pretty low because in some games you're personally investing points you're giving when you level up into your stat value um let's take uh sword Art online fatal bullet uh for example because i was playing that recently um when you level up you get certain skill points which you then invest into your various stats like vitality strength um uh agility dexterity um and a couple other ones in specific to that game which go up by one point every time you invest a skill point into them so it means by the time you finish the game you're looking at like well it, it well it gives, you're given like a different set of skill points, like a different amount of skill points every time you level up in that game. So the more you level up, the more skill points you're going to get. Um, so I think like my current build has something like 121 in strength, uh, 135 in vitality, something like that. So you're, you're looking at, you know, fairly, you know, you're looking at triple digit stats for some stuff at the end of the game but not in everything, uh, and, and, you know, so, 100, uh, is a high stat value in that game, but in others, if it's, you know, you're investing your skill points, uh, into other things, um, or in some cases, in some games, you're leveling up and your stats just naturally go up, or they're, they're, you know, uh, they're dictated by other things like, um, armor, might give you certain stats like uh you know it, there's some games that your attack your your health your uh defense and all this sort of stuff are tied to stats that are tied to armor or equipment or various other things so there is and that that can mean that you end up with like ridiculously high stats like um just thinking about raid shadow legends off the top of my head because for some reason i was playing that again recently um, you can have some ridiculous stats like 9,000 or, you know, like a damage output of 9,000. Um, so, you know, we're just given this and then it's a while before we get any context for what fate scores actually mean. Um, but yeah, back to my point of identify, it's here, like, in the first, well, in the first page of this chapter on my iPad, I read on my iPad, so page count and stuff like that is a bit all over the place. Uh, if you're reading, like, the physical book or something, it might be, it's probably different. It, there'll be, like, more pages. Um, Fate says this, if I had identify, I could quit gatekeeping and become an appraiser. They make, they made good money because their skills were highly specialised. But why did this random bandit have it then? Because 
the the act of stealing skills when you kill someone is like exclusive at least as far as we're aware right now to fate because his gluttony skill means that he takes someone's like entire soul when they die he kind of like consumes it so he gains their stats and their skills um obviously if if they have a skill he already has he just gains the stats because their skills don't stack they have higher um level ones like um strength boost has a low medium and high um and you can stack those but you can't stack multiple low strength uh strength low strength boost low sorry uh stats um so i think by the end of the first book he has like strength boost low medium and high um so you can stack them but yeah it becomes like a core thing of this book where he'll just check like everything's stats which makes sense you know he's he's sort of level one and just learning how to use well he's never fought anything before and so he has to get used to like fighting and he has to uh you know learn to fight and and he doesn't want to go up against something that's stronger than him because obviously he doesn't want to fucking die because he's their main character um but yeah i think it's it's a weird thing for the book because it, it sort of takes you away from the straight fantasy element of it um which otherwise could have been a can be like really interesting at times because we're only ever seeing the book from fate's perspective it's always told in the first person and so it does like a really nice amount of natural world building through fate situation we're introduced to the kingdom of sephor which i think i'm pronouncing correctly which this is an interesting thing i've these neither of these have anime adaptions yet um so i currently don't know how any of these names are actually meant to be pronounced for some things like Edgeka's name i'm just guessing um because i haven't heard them spoken out loud yet um but yeah so we're introduced to the kingdom of sephor at first in its sort of slums um because that's where fate lives then when roxy sort of takes him under her wing although she doesn't know about his gluttony and everything yet which is one of my main issues sort of that may become a point of frustration for me with the series is that he never tells roxy uh at least not within the first book about gluttony about his escapades as an adventurer and stuff he sort of leads a double life a little bit uh, it seems unnecessary to me there's like no fucking reason really within the plot as to why he really needs to hide his identity like he he's scared that roxy will reject him because of gluttony but uh yeah bruh roxy is really into him like really fucking into him and sure he is dense protagonist so he doesn't get it but yeah no anyway um what was i saying natural world building so once roxy takes him under her care we're sort of introduced to the holy knights district which is where all of the, the people who become holy knights live and we're introduced to a little bit more of the sort of uh more higher class uh but we don't really see much outside of roxy's mansion there is one part of the book where they go back to roxy's uh home village um villa i guess where like her mother still lives um and like they own a vineyard and stuff like that so we but again it doesn't it, it spends more time focused on uh uh fates you know like taking down monsters and and feed, um satisfying his gluttony so, so we do get some like natural world building throughout the first book and i thought oh this is cool you know if we're going into the second book it could be you know more interesting we get to know a little bit more of uh sephora and stuff like that and then no um just to sort of lightly spoil the end of the first book uh fate and roxy both leave c4 for another country which is mentioned a lot throughout the first book sure but i feel like that's a twist to come a little later i feel like they could have done another two books just in c4 and like i get 
sort of why the the writer the the author sort of wrote themselves into a corner because uh nothing around is as like by the end of the first book satisfying fate's gluttony um so i guess heading to this other country means that there'll be you know uh stronger enemies that do satisfy his his gluttony but yeah i don't know it's it feels like a weird ending i feel like there could have been more done because uh you know like i said fate sort of tries to lead a double life and the end of the first book sort of just conveniently drops it a little bit whereas i felt like that could have been a more interesting dynamic overall and now it's just going to be a case of both of these people are vaguely in the same location and i guess fate's gonna have to try and hide the fact that he's there from roxy because he he clearly he doesn't want her to know that he has strength but he's annoyed when she leaves the kingdom and doesn't ask him for help but she doesn't know that he's strong she's under the impression that he is weak and i know i said i wasn't going to spoil anything but i don't think i actually recommend this book i don't know i think it is slightly interesting it's an easy read it's not too heavy but there there are frustrating points and i hope they pan out even if this series is very sort of generic fantasy and i think it could have been done much better um and and you know there could have been more interesting character plot threads but you know you can only do so much um well, i i don't know why i said you can only do so much i'm not in control of how this is written um i, I just wanted to think i say it in my thought um one thing i did have a, a like a, a weird like moment with is uh so a very common thing in light novels is to have like a side story in it at the end um sometimes you get one at the end some series have like one volume will have like a collection of short stories in it uh the second volume the 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 second sixth and eighth volume no the second seventh and eighth volume uh if i recall correctly of sword art and light are all short story collections interestingly those are all integral in filling out character stories um for characters that show up like constantly throughout the series after that um and if you've watched the anime all of those uh, most of those side stories um get adapted in season one so if you've if you've watched the first season of sword art online um the christmas episode uh the episode where kirito meets Celica and has to revive pina um uh the the one where he goes up the mountain with Lisbeth, uh and another one oh the the ones involving yui i think uh those all those are all side stories i'm sure the yui ones are side stories because i remember reading the first volume and going when's uh when's yui gonna show up and then i'm pretty sure she's in one of the side story books um so yeah um it ends with a side story sorry i keep distracting myself and, and derailing my own fucking point um and i said it was going to be a shorter episode and i'm already looking at the runtime thinking wrap it the fuck up soon so i'm going to be quick about my last couple of points um the 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 final side story takes place from roxy's perspective which is fine but we instantly end with the last chapter of the book all being from fate's perspective which is all in first person's perspective and then suddenly just starting with roxy referring to herself in first person and it's a little bit it took me a little bit of like i reread the first couple of sentences a few times just to sort of settle in to it being from roxy's perspective 
So I think even if it made no sense for Fate to be relating the story to the reader, I think it would have just made for a slightly easier reading experience than, you know, I mean, it, it doesn't even need to be Fate relating it to us. It could have just been the omniscient narrator. Like, I would have been fine with that. But the the first person perspective of the, the, the side story at the end did knock me a little bit for a loop. Um, just because we've been with Fate entirely throughout the first book. And I don't see that changing. Um, I think it's very much like Sword Art Online, where it's it's all from the main character's perspective. Uh, like, Sword Art Online is, is almost entirely from Kirito's perspective, except in some side stories, and in, except in the, the side, the, I guess it's a side story, but it's actually very much canon. Um, the, the story involving y Yuki and Asuna, which is all from Asuna's perspective, which lends a lot of fucking weight to that story when you read it in the book. Um, and so I think the the anime did a little bit of a disservice to that story when it adapted it in the end of season two. But still, yeah. Um, so Berserk of Gluttony, I'm interested right now to see how it goes. And you know, they're only being eight books, which I guess for some people you know, seems like, like, that, that's the entirety of the, the Harry Potter series, but light novels are shorter, and they're usually a lighter reading experience, they're much easier to read through, there's, there's nothing too challenging about reading them, um, so considering I've read Sword Art Online, uh, and I'm keeping up with quite a few other, um, light novel series at this point, it's it, it's a very kind of it's it's not a low bar but it's not a, a particularly high bar like i have all of the vampire hunter d's books on my ipad now to read through because uh, i got them in the humble bundle um recently and that's that's daunting because there's like there's 29 of them to read through um but yeah i'm interested to see where it goes i I don't rate it particularly high. Like, if I'm currently to give both of these series a, a rating, even though I think both are very much too early to tell, um, I'd give your format a solid 8 out of 10. I think potentially, depending on the direction it goes, and if it doesn't overstay its welcome, I think it could be a 9, maybe 10. I don't think it's a 10, actually. I do have some issues with it. Um, particularly the second book, uh, feels a little forced in some of its mystery and some of it, uh, how some of it kind of comes to a resolution. It feels a little convoluted, uh, in the last chapter. Um, I'd say it's, it's, it could be a solid 9 out of 10. Um, Berserk of Gluttony right now, I'd, uh, 5 or 6 out of 10. Somewhere in that range. It's very average. It's fine. It's inoffensive. Um, the char Most of the characters are very tropey. You know, Fate is very much the archetype overpowered protagonist. I'd say he does beat out some, some of these types of characters because I feel like he does have a personality. He does have a story that we're following that isn't just get more powerful. Like, that's half his story. Um... But I feel like he has at least somewhat of an interesting character arc in the first book that, again, I think is fucked up a little bit by the ending. Um, and I think, you know, Roxy is an interesting character because I feel like it flips the script of the normal, um, how to put it, uh, oh, what's, what's, you know, the sort of damsel in distress. It's normally in these power fantasy things, it's like, the main character is, is super strong and, and you know the the love interest is someone who he kind of takes under his wing because you know they're downtrodden or whatever they or, or however you want to put it um whereas roxy's very much a strong character she she's the head of a a very you know important family in the kingdom of sephora 
and you know she has her own she has very much her own thing going on and so i think a lot of what i find interesting is a, a in the book is is both you know fate you know i don't know how to put it into words actually i think i find roxy the most intriguing character so far but then i feel like some of it is a little undone by having that last chapter all from her perspective i think it gives away a little bit too much that we as the reader right now shouldn't be privy to and it looks like i just bought the second book before i started recording this and i had a little look at the chapter list of the contents page uh and there's another side story from roxy's perspective so i really hope that this isn't a constant thing with the books where we get all of the book being from fate's perspective and then we see a side story at the end from roxy's perspective that usually kind of recaps some major events from her perspective um that i think just gives away too much information that we as the viewer shouldn't currently need to know i think that there's a more engaging and interesting way to do that and have it come up more naturally through the actual plot through the actual storyline I, I i think that doing it like this right now undermines some of what it's trying to set up so yeah it's decent wouldn't wouldn't necessarily recommend it if you like fantasy stuff um it's it's all right uh but be aware it's very tropey very power fantasy very kind of very generic and and most senses of if you've you know experienced fantasy anime before a lot of uh fantasy anime can fall into this and it, it really does feel like the the isekai um uh oh what is the word i'm looking for why why are words failing me every time i record an episode of my own words just absolutely fail me um it's it's the isekai like framework but without the isekai part it's so strange like i really feel like fate should be someone who died and got reincarnated into this world but he's he's not and it does actually make it slightly more interesting because he is like a part of this world he's not someone who's a fish out of water and i think that that does make the story a little bit more engaging we're not having to just learn everything at the beginning of the book because the characters having to learn everything at the beginning of the book because they've just got into this world which a lot of uh sekai tend to do um it does a lot of its world building naturally like i said which is one of the very kind of interesting parts of it um but yeah overall decent i don't think it's gonna wow me and and you know be one of my favorites uh as as i go along but it's it's i'd say it's yeah it's all right i that's all i can come up with is that it is all right <laughs> so yeah if you want to read something interesting something engaging and something uh half philosophical it's not quite committed to it yet um they go read your former if you are wanting some fantasy schlock to just get by with because it's an easy read berserk of gluttony there's one that i highly recommend here and the other is berserk of gluttony <laughs> so yeah thank you for listening to this episode <laughs> i'm sorry it's been such a train wreck um i feel like i say this every time i record one on my own um yeah if you're wondering where the seasonal update is uh i decided not to do an impressions episode this time because it would be very close to the uh like like uh wrap up episode um the review episode i guess you could call it so what i'm gonna do i'm not gonna do the impressions episode this season i may just forego them through all seasons i think just usually because it means recording and releasing them ends up making them very close to when the next one talking about the season's gonna come out and it feels like it just defeats the purpose of the impressions episode because you're only hearing it maybe a month after um 
so yeah, I think that the December, first episode in December may be the season wrap-up. If it's not, it'll be the first one in January, for sure, I think. Um, but I just don't think doing a impressions episode makes any sense um, at this point in time. I'm not sure what it is, something about it. I, I had planned to do it and then I thought it doesn't feel it doesn't feel important to do one of them and I'd rather just do a wrap up of the season. So I'll, uh, yeah, it does mean I'm creating more work for myself because I need to try and figure out another episode to come in between uh, this and the season wrap up probably. But yeah, anyway, thanks for listening. You can go follow us on Twitter over at Anime Lanecast to keep up to date with when new episode well what we are talking about in new episodes like if you follow us on twitter you would have seen that this scene the week before this episode released that we were going to be talking about your format and berserk of gluttony as a sort of spoiler warning even though i didn't really want to spoil the books but i guess it gave you a chance to sort of go oh maybe this will be interesting or, or whatever um so yeah um Tune in next time, where I, I assume we're talking about Akira, like I mentioned at the beginning of the episode, because I don't think that one's out yet. Yeah. Goodbye.